Please turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew 10, or find our bulletin insert. We'll use this as a unison reading as we continue in our Lenten series on the Lord Teach Us to Number Our Days and what that means about how we live life each day and how we're called uh, to live life by God as He teaches us in His Word. So Matthew 10, this is a speech that Jesus is making. We'll pick it up at verse 34. Let us read the Word of God together. Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. In his early years, the famous photographer Ansel Adams studied piano and showed a lot of promise, so much so that he would be invited to play here and there. At one party, however, as Adams played Chopin's eighth major nocturne, he recalled that in some strange way my right hand started off in F-sharp major, while my left hand behaved well in F major. You got F-sharp major going on this hand and F major on this. He said, I could not bring them together. I went through the entire nocturne with the hands separated by a half step. And the next day, a guest that was in attendance at that particular party came up to Adams and gave him his honest appraisal of his performance. He said, you never miss a wrong thing. <laughs> I don't know what Ansel Adams thought of that remark. But we all need people who will be honest with us, who will speak the truth of God into our lives for the right reasons. And that's what Jesus is doing in this passage of Scripture before us today in Matthew 10. In fact, one commentator says that nowhere is the sheer honesty of Jesus more vividly displayed than it is here, and he means here in Matthew 10. As Jesus describes to his followers, as Jesus describes to you and me, exactly what can happen if we accept the commission to be in his service. To be a part of God's kingdom and try to live faithfully in it. Notice what Jesus says at the beginning of our text. Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father. 
and a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Now, because this is a difficult teaching, we, we have to make sure we understand the concept that Jesus is talking about here and the definition we need to give to that word peace that he uses. He's not talking about peace in Israel. You know, the Bible tells us to pray for peace in Jerusalem. That's not what Jesus is talking about here. He's not even referring to peace between God and man or peace in our hearts as, as Jesus speaks to us in John 14 when he says, My peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Obviously, if Jesus says he gives us peace in John 14 and then tells us he has not come into this world to give us peace, and he's using the exact same word in the Greek, or at least the text has the exact same word. Of course, Jesus wouldn't have been speaking Greek. He would have been speaking Aramaic, most likely. Then what, what does this really mean? And this is why Philip and I talk about the importance of context so much when we're up here in the pulpit. In John 14, Jesus is getting ready to leave his disciples. You know, he spends all of that time with them in the upper room. That's the context of his words when he says, My peace I give unto you. He's telling his disciples he doesn't want their hearts to be troubled, that the Holy Spirit, whom he will give, will come and bring peace to their inner being. So that even though Jesus is no longer with them, they'll be able to function. They'll be able to go out there and work in God's kingdom and do God's will. But obviously the peace that Jesus is talking about in our text today favors more the notion of harmony. You know, if you look up in Webster's Dictionary, that word peace, that's one of the definitions. You'll see harmony. Jesus is not here to bring harmony to all of mankind, but rather he brings division. That's why he says, I'm not bringing peace, but a sword. He's using uh, that uh, metaphor, using that word sword metaphorically, the same way that it's used in Hebrews 4. When that writer likens the Word of God to a sword when he says the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword piercing to the division, the division of soul and spirit. Jesus is saying that my message, my mission, should you take it on, will cause division in this life, even in your own family, possibly. Because people will be separated by virtue of their response to me. And whether they follow me or not. You know, we can see all kinds of division in our society today. And a lot of that division is caused between Christianity and the world. We've got a whole lot of Christians out there in our nation today who are trying to live by God's principles and talking about God's principles and it, and it just smacks up against the secularism of the world and the evil that's in the world. 
And Jesus is saying, this is what's going to happen. When you follow me, there's going to be this kind of response to me and my truth. Even so much so that it will set a man against his father. And you know, as we look through Christian history, we can see the truth of those words over and over again. I'll give you just one example. St. Francis of Assisi. When he was converted at a somewhat young age and began to let go of the things of the world, his father was very upset with him because his father was a merchant. And he expected his son to do the same thing, to carry on the family business. In fact, his father tried to change his mind, first with threats and then with beatings. But Francis persevered in his faith and even went so far as legal proceedings in front of the bishop of Assisi where he removed his father and his patrimony and even took off the very clothes on his back that his father had bought for him. It was that clean of a break. This is why Jesus says, I have come to set a man against his father. This is the kind of response that can come because Jesus brings division. And you probably know of friends or associates or maybe it was your own life that was very similar to this where when you came to Christ, all of a sudden you had people in your family who didn't like you anymore. You had friends who didn't like you or you really couldn't hang out with your friends anymore because they were doing all the kinds of things that would take you down the wrong path. And even though you wanted to be an example to them, even though you wanted to uh, uh, witness to them, you found that hard to do because they just wanted to pull you back into the way of the world. So you found that you sometimes had to separate yourself or either they separated from you, one or the other. If you've ever talked to a former Muslim who is now a Christian, they'll tell you about this kind of division. They'll tell you what it's like to proclaim the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior and then have their family turn their backs on them and say, don't ever come into my home again. And some of them are told that or you'll die. And some of them have died. Jesus is and always has been the great divider. For he has come to bring not peace, but a sword. He naturally causes division. But with this division comes something else. We can see in this text that there must be an ultimate devotion to him and we can see this call to devotion in his words here in verse 37 when he says whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me and whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me Devotion, as I'm using it in the outline of this sermon today, means love because that's the word Jesus chooses to use here. And you're an educated congregation, and you know in the Greek language there are more, you know, more than one word for the word love, for the for the for love, more than 
probably more than that. This is the word that he chooses to use here is from filio, which has to do with family attachments, the love we normally have for our family, for our brothers, our sisters, for our parents, for our aunts and uncles, that sort of thing. Our love for Jesus must put him first in that hierarchy. The father and the mother, even though the Ten Commandments tell us to honor our father and mother. When we, when we take Jesus as Lord and Savior, when we seek to serve him, he's higher. He's the highest rank. And this verse is not an attack on family relationships. It's not an attack on natural attachments. It's not telling us not to love our parents. It's not telling us not to honor them. But it does tell us that following Jesus is more important than family ties. That was certainly the case for John Bunyan. If you know anything about that famous author of Pilgrim's Progress, you know that he spent 12 years in jail in England. He didn't have to. He could have retracted his stance he could have said, I won't proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ anymore because I'm not an ordained Anglican clergy. But he wouldn't do that. And, and the hardest time he had with that decision was what it was doing to his wife and his four children, one of whom was blind. As he put it, I was a man who was pulling down his house upon the head of his wife and children. Yes, must do it. Once he put his hand to the plow, he did not look back. And even his wife and children had to suffer because of his devotion to Christ and his church. But he was willing to put Christ first. Now not every follower of the Lord Jesus will be required to display that kind of devotion, but there's all kinds of ways in which we're called to display that kind of devotion to Jesus. For those of you who've been members of this church a long time, you will remember a couple that used to be in this church, Tom and Eula Oates. Tom was an elder in this church and a well-known coach in this community, and his wife, Eula, she was a wonderful Bible teacher, seemed to know the scriptures backwards and forwards. And they had a son also named Tom. When Tom went through school, then he went to medical school, and then all of a sudden he started saying he'd been called to missionary service in Pakistan. And by then, he was married and, and had children, which means Tom and Eula had grandchildren. And all of a sudden, he announces one day they're going to be serving God in Pakistan as medical missionaries halfway around the world. But you didn't hear Tom and Eula complaining about that. They knew that Jesus demands the ultimate loyalty. If he wanted their son in his service in Pakistan, there wasn't anything they could say about it. To their credit, they didn't say anything. You know, some people would say, oh, my grandchildren are going to be halfway around the world and complain and whine about it. They knew that Jesus was the ultimate lawyer. 
we need to see is that this demand of his disciples is something that not even the most esteemed rabbi in his day and time would have required. Jesus is giving some kind of call here that people have never seen before. Some kind of call for devotion that people couldn't even imagine in his day and time. And what it says to us is that it was a way of saying that he was God himself. Because only God can require something higher. More honor than a, a mother and a father. We are devoted to him because he is Lord. Because he's ruler over all that we are and all that we ever hope to become. And you see, this kind of devotion leads to a life of discipleship that is willing to fulfill God's will regardless of the cost. This is what Jesus speaks to in verse 38 when he says, Whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. As one commentator put it, to take up one's cross is a metaphor that means to take up God's will for one's life. In the same way that the cross was the Father's will for the Son's life. Now let's make sure we understand what Jesus is really saying here because oftentimes people misunderstand these words of Jesus. They're in most every gospel in some form or another. Take up your cross or take the cross. And, and you'll sometimes see people who have a serious illness. Maybe it's diabetes or maybe it's some form of cancer or maybe they're blind because of macular degeneration and they'll say something like, I guess it's just my cross to bear. <laughs> well, with all due respect, no, it is not. That's not what Jesus is talking about here. He's not talking about some kind of sickness or illness that's been thrust upon us because of the sinfulness of this world. He's talking about a voluntary choice that you and I make, that we are willing to make. That's why he uses the word, take your cross. It's something you and I do, willingly, voluntarily. Just like he willingly took up his cross and was crucified for the sins of the world. You know, we know from his prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane that he had hoped it would not come to that. But his prayer was that God's will would be done and not his own. It was God's will for him to die. This is God's grace to you and me. Because without his death, you and I, sinners that we are, could never be reconciled, could never be brought back into a right relationship with a holy and perfect God. But he did that for us. God giving up his own son and Jesus yielding his own perfect life on the cross for your sins and for my sins and for the sins of the world. That's why we call it the gospel of the grace of God. It's his gift. Unto us over and over, and that's why it's good news. Remember what Paul said about the cross 
two weeks ago in our sermon in Philippians 3, how there are those who live as enemies of the cross. An enemy of the cross does not have God's will in mind. Rather, their God is their belly, Paul says, which means their appetites, their wants, their desires, their will as opposed to God's will. And they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But you see, when we take up our cross, we have set our eyes on one of the things that are above. We follow the example of Jesus who lowered himself, who took on the form of flesh, who became obedient unto death, even death on a cross. He was willing to take that cross on himself. And that's what he's calling us to as well, to live cruciform lives, to live lives of the cross. You know, Paul tells us in Corinthians that his love compels us or controls us. But in some ways, the cross should do the same. It compels us to follow his example who came into this world saying the Son of Man did not come into the world to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. That's taking up one's cross. And as verse 38 makes clear, taking up our cross involves denying ourselves. It involves denying our own wills as Jesus did and accepting God's will, which is to take up the cross. And we ultimately follow Christ as we put God's will into practice each and every day. And as Jesus puts it here, living this kind of life is really a paradox. It sort of turns things upside down because when you give up your own life, you find it. You don't lose it. It becomes found. We actually find them even though he brings division. Even though he calls for devotion and discipleship, as we lose our lives for his sake, they are found. And this is what enables us to fulfill that call that Paul gives us in Romans 12 when he says, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. Do not be conformed to this world, but be what? Transformed by the renewal of your mind that you may prove what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. You see, this is our purpose in life, is to live the will of God. Presenting our lives as sacrifices, and another way of saying it is losing our lives so that they might be found forevermore. May God bless us to that end.